It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hello and welcome back to a special edition of Miked Up on OWN Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Low Country listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date, it's Wednesday, April 8th, and the time of this recording is currently 5.30 a.m. So yesterday I found myself preparing for an evening conference call and was sitting and the TV was on and my cell phone was within arm's reach and this is what I heard. The civil authorities have issued a civil emergency message for all of South Carolina beginning at 4.50 p.m. Tuesday, April 7th and ending at 12.20 a.m. Wednesday, April 8th. The South Carolina Emergency Management Division has issued a civil emergency message. I'm almost compelled to make a lost in space joke um, with that robotic voice, but um, I'm going to resist the urge for fear of losing younger listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we received this alert yesterday. Um, I'm going to read to you from the South Carolina Emergency Management Division Twitter feed. Um, so yesterday they issued this. Um, SCEMD is activating the state's integrated public health and warning system just before 5 p.m. today, April 7th, two thousand. The message will coincide with the time of the governor's mandatory stay at home or work order to take effect. So basically, we know that the previous day I reported our governor, Governor Henry McMaster, issued his version of a shelter in place law, uh, which does give us a little bit more leeway, a little bit more flexibility. But what we started to see almost immediately throughout the area Um, Whether you were on the road, again, whether you heard this uh, alert on your phone or perhaps maybe television program was programming was interrupted. You heard uh, divisions like this one really uh, jolt people into the new reality of, hey, we need to make sure that we stay home. So if you were traveling along the roads, you may have seen um, certain signage alongside the road, the digital signage. You may have seen those alerts pop up there as well. So to give you uh, even more understanding as to what this order means, I'm going to play this clip to help reiterate what I reported on yesterday, uh, this new executive order uh, mandated by the governor of South Carolina. So take a listen to this news clip. South Carolina and Billie Jean, the Palmetto State, finally becoming really one of the last states in the country to go ahead and mandate that everybody stay at home. Good morning, Ben. People had been calling for Governor McMaster to make this order or this call for weeks now, and it's now going into effect uh, today. And if you don't follow the rules, you could be faced with a $100 fine or up to 30 days in jail. Today at 5 o'clock this evening, South Carolina's work or home order begins. This means all residents must stay in their homes indefinitely unless they're going to the following places. Work, an essential business such as a grocery store or pharmacy to visit family or for recreational purposes like spending time outside. Governor Henry McMaster putting tighter restrictions on South Carolinians after reports of people refusing to practice social distancing, passing the virus throughout communities at record pace. There are now more than 2,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the Palmetto State. 48 people have died. Too many people are on the roads too many people are on the waters, too many people are in the stores, 
Too many people are not requiring with our, with our requests concerning social distancing. In the days leading up to the order, South Carolina was among nine states without a full stay-at-home order. North Carolina. That news clip came courtesy of WCNC, an NBC News affiliate. Um, these, this new order, this new mandate means sweeping changes for the way we go about our daily lives, our daily routines. Even though this mandate is a little, it's a little toothless, as I mentioned yesterday, compared to other states, we have a little bit more flexibility and and all of that. You heard the stipulations, right? Um, but. It has changed the way we go about business. Um, just anecdotally speaking, I went out last evening for the first time to retrieve a mask that was being uh, made for me and my family. Or So I picked up a few masks um, by a local uh, tailor. And as we were driving, uh, we just couldn't help but see the signs, as I mentioned earlier. And also I stopped to a gas station and upon going inside the gas station, um, noticed even that retail experience has changed. And and if you follow uh, Governor McMaster, you're going to see more details about that retail experience. This past weekend, again, anecdotally, um, I took a trip to a local grocery store and I was in a queue. Uh, we were outside waiting for the store to open. We were all six feet apart. Uh, and the stores that you might shop at are going to take very specific precautions to help encourage social distancing. We've heard in the news places like Costco, Trader Joe's, Food Lion, they've all altered their retail experience. So I think that's where you're going to see the most immediate effects outside of, you know, your employment status. You're really going to feel the effects of um, this executive order um, when you go out and go shopping. I, I visited uh, Governor Henry McMaster's Twitter feed the other day. And this is what he stipulates. And this is just, again, me reiterating what I may have included in previous shows this week. Um, but he, he tweeted this out the other day. All retail businesses remaining open must limit customers inside to no more than five customers per 1,000 square feet or 20% of maximum capacity, whichever is less. So, again, you're going to be in the store. Um, they're encouraging folks to maybe travel in pairs to the store or, you know, either singles or in pairs. Um, once you're in there, you're going to be, you know, among a handful of guests shopping for necessity. So look out for that change. Um, I want to go ahead and hop into the current numbers as reported by DHEC so you all understand where where we are in terms of infection rates. So as of yesterday afternoon, April 7th, according to the DHEC website, Charleston County is currently sitting at 305 total positive cases for coronavirus. Our state total is 2,417 total positive cases for COVID-19. And unfortunately, we've had uh, 51 reported deaths due to COVID-19. Um, I'm going to shift now to the um, to how this is impacting folks in rural areas. So here's a bit of local reporting on how our rural pockets are being impacted. Counties in South Carolina's don't have a hospital or urgent care center for coronavirus testing and treatment. A higher percentage of rural county residents have pre-existing conditions like diabetes and heart disease. The former director of the Rural Minority Health Research Center explained why that's the case. Because those, the rural communities are where people live who are less likely to have insurance because you don't have the big industries that are going to provide um, employer-supplied health insurance, and you don't have Medicaid expansion. 
Dr. Jan Probst says that this is why so many people in rural communities don't have insurance and many jobs in those counties also increase an employee's risk of being exposed to the virus. If you're a regular listener of my standard mic'd up show, which airs Fridays at four on OM radio, you'll hear me steadily beat the drum about how this state dropped the ball in regards to the Medicaid expansion back um, a few years ago. Um, we're seeing the ramifications of that decision. We don't have certain safety nets in place to help folks um, receive and have access to health care during times like this. Um, pandemics of this magnitude are rare, right? But we do know that in, re in recent years and, and throughout history, we've always contended with something like this, whether it be the influenza or something like that, right? So we have to prepare for that and restricting access and closing down four hospitals um, in the span of 10 years in rural areas. We're, we're seeing th that, you know, yield some really, really gnarly effects. I also want you to um, understand that when folks, maybe news reporters use the word rural, they're, they're meaning, I think, um, also communities of color. Uh, we have seen reported recently, especially this week, how the COVID-19 virus is disproportionately impacting communities of color. Um, and we can get into all of the why that's happening. Doesn't mean that black and brown folks are making bad decisions. No, it just means that, you know, we're the ones typically working lower wage jobs. And I'm saying we because I am African-American. I am black. Um, we're the ones typically uh, working low wage jobs. Um, so we're essential workers. M most of us are essential workers. Um, also, the underlying health effects. We know that black folks are disproportionately at risk for things like diabetes and high blood pressure. And that's a whole socioeconomic discussion that I won't get into. So just be careful when you hear the word rural use. It doesn't necessarily just mean one thing. And, and it's not a bad thing. I just think folks are trying to grapple with how to distinguish this or how to, how to really see and report on this issue. Um, so a rural can be an interchangeable word. Um, and that news clip came courtesy of WCBD, our, our local Charleston NBC News affiliate. So I'd like to keep it going. Um, I'd like to continue on providing additional information regarding our state's response, our health care, our medical response to COVID-19. Take a listen. As numbers from coronavirus case continue to rise, now they're considering closed hotels and hospitals, and they're also consolidating services at current hospitals to prepare in the event we see a surge in coronavirus cases. And all of our other clinical partners throughout the state to come up with a workable system that is going to give us the bed capacity that we could potentially need. Dr. Eric Osman says the South Carolina Guard, the Emergency Management Division, and clinical partners work to develop the three-tiered medical surge protection plan. Tier 3 includes current hospitals. Tier 2 includes converting facilities such as closed hotels and hospitals. And Tier 1 includes locations for isolating patients. Tier 2 facilities will be able to care for patients. Creating tier two facilities in coliseums, in arenas, and then also uh, creating uh, tent hospitals if needed. Locally, Laura Shout out to Channel News 2, the local Charleston NBC News affiliate, uh, WCBD, for that bit of reporting. Um, it's very reassuring to hear South Carolina planning planning in ways similar to what we've seen in metropolitan areas that are hit hard by the coronavirus, areas like 
New York City, New Jersey, Philadelphia, those areas have uh, taken uh, either sport vi- sports venues or concert halls and things of that nature and turned them into makeshift hospitals. Um, so it, it's great to hear that there is um, strategic planning in terms of how we may have to deal with what they're anticipating is that surge, the surge of infected cases. So if our ho- if our hospitals and our healthcare systems become overwhelmed, we have uh, contingency plans in place. So that's good to hear. However, um, amid that planning for a surge, the Post and Courier reported yesterday on its front page that MUSC, they've had to deal with some major, major layoffs in their workforce. So take a listen to this reporting. Senator Marlon Kimson tells me he's talked with MUSC's president about the massive changes at the hospital. About 900 employees have been temporarily laid off and all salaried employees are expected to get a 15% pay cut. All decisions made to save the hospital millions. But the revenue figures that I'm told is if they were to continue to operate, we'd be looking at in excess of a $100 million loss uh, by June. The reason for the loss of revenue, no more non-urgent surgeries. This is because state health officials urged hospitals to stop or significantly reduce them during the coronavirus pandemic and MUSC complied. My understanding is that 60 or more percent of the revenue used for operations and to pay uh, personnel are derived from elective surgeries. MUSC officials also emphasizing that at this time, frontline health care team members who have already seen fewer work hours because of the COVID-19 response will not see any additional pay cuts. As for those now without... So if you recall, during yesterday's update show, I included audio which featured an interview with a local nurse, um, the nurse by the name of April Gilliard. She was on her way to New York City because there were cutbacks here. So again, we're seeing a, a planning for surge, a surge in medical cases. We're seeing the numbers grow and tick up. We're seeing our governor issue more mandates. However, our workforce here in the medical industry they're not as engaged. They are experiencing layoffs. It's just something I'm watching. Um, my head is tilted to, to, to the left a little bit. I'm trying to understand how those things happen. If we're in a medical crisis, yet we're seeing layoffs and, and wages cut, I'm trying to understand how that happens. I know it's more complicated than what I'm you know, initially reading it. So I'm still processing much like many of you all out there. Um, if you have any insight, please let me know, reach out to me via email if you can. Um, but I'm trying to understand we're planning for a surge. Um, we've got strategic plans in place. I guess right now we just haven't felt that hit that other areas. We haven't reached that peak that other states have reached. So perhaps once we do reach that critical point, those nurses and, and healthcare professionals who have left, maybe they can return. And you heard that during the clip that the plan is to have them return, have our, our nurses and whatnot return back to the area to service uh, folks in need here. So just keep your eye on that. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate to hear folks being laid off during this time. And um, it's now I'm seeing it really sweep across so many industries. The healthcare industry, however, was one of the last places where I, I thought I'd see layoffs and wage cuts. So just keep your eye on that. I'm going to transition now to more uh, economic news as it pertains to, you know, just just folks and jobs. And, and here's something from Senator Tim Scott that I think you'd want to hear. I am excited about uh, what our future looks like. I'm convinced that the best is yet to come. 
Senator Tim Scott says he's optimistic about the future of South Carolina and the nation during this pandemic, but it's going to take some time to get back to normal. We will reopen this economy when the, the curve is flattened. When that happens, when we start seeing that uh, curve, when we start seeing fewer cases than the, the day before, that is a clear sign, a clear indication that we're going to move forward very quickly. Um, the goal is not to have to do this twice. He says he was pleased with Governor McMaster's order to keep people at home or work as that can help flatten the curve. But he understands that a big concern lies with unemployment. What resources are being uh, sent to the unemployment office to help them get through all of these claims? Yeah, so I, I, we, we certainly have provided more resources than ever in the history of the country to unemployment agencies around the country. Here's the challenge. We, we in this state had 2.3% unemployment rate. We were having a fantastic uh, economic uh, growth period, 113 consecutive months. So when this economy, because of an invisible enemy that we were at war, uh, came into our state and we had to shutter so many thousands of employees literally overnight, there's just no way the system was built for that. So the, the do system is uh, getting better and I think it's catching up. It's trying to catch its breath. He encourages people to log on to the Department of Employment and Workforce website between midnight and 3 a.m. The federal government also tagged on an extra $600 for unemployment benefits for 16 weeks. Okay, that bit of reporting came courtesy of WLTX, the CBS News affiliate based out of Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I, I was able to get a few very informative tidbits from that bit of reporting. So, um, you know, especially when it comes to filing for unemployment and what times are ideal. And so hopefully Senator Tim Scott uh, gave you some additional insight. Um, as a note, too, I want to go back a little bit. That previous clip where we heard um, about the MUSC layoffs, that, that clip came courtesy of Live 5 News. Okay, so I forgot to give them their credit. want to make sure you know that. And as always, um, all of the clips, um, I cite all my sources. They're in the description of the show or rather the show notes. So you can access all that additional information within each episode's show notes. If you want to listen to the entire uh, clip, you can do that. Um, and so, yeah, I want to transition to more economic news. This one is about paycheck protection. Take a listen. Those who qualify for the Small Business Administration Paycheck Protection Program include small businesses who meet the SBA's size standards, a nonprofit or veteran organization, or a self-employed person. The Paycheck Protection Program is part of the $2 trillion stimulus package and was granted $350 billion. But it's a viable, reasonable, great program for small businesses to continue to make payroll. The loan is served on a first-come, first-served basis. Be patient with it, uh, but you don't have time to wait around. You, you really need to, to, to sign up for this ASAP. The SBA will forgive loans if all employees are kept on the payroll for eight weeks and the money is used for payroll, rent, mortgage interest, or utilities. Loan forgiveness will be reduced if full-time headcount declines or if salaries and wages decrease. If you're a small business owner, you need to be patient. You're dealing with the government. You're not dealing with a small business environment like we're accustomed to, where we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants. The application can be found online at sba.gov, where you can also find local lenders. 
Shout out uh, Channel News 2, WCBD, for that reporting. Yeah, I'm still working on securing a guest for an interview uh, for one of these update shows, someone who could unpack the CARES Act um, and really help entrepreneurs and small businesses grapple with what's going on and find access to any type of financial relief that the government has extended to folks. So hopefully that clip helps some. Um, but yeah, as you heard in the clip, do not wait. Go ahead and uh, try to to find information. Reach out to Low Country Local first for more information. They have tons of webinars. I believe the webinars don't just come down after they're um, you know completed. I, I believe that you can still access video content that it, that can help you plan for your business. Um, so I'm going to end today's update show there. I'm going to sign off. But as I did in previous shows, I'm going to tack on a little bit of information. Now, yesterday I took a break from lifting up or including a clip that lifted up a historical healthcare professional. Um, I, in turn, I just, what I did was mention the name of Matilda Evans. I still hope that you did Google Matilda Evans and her iconic career and her roots here in South Carolina. Um, today, I'm going to end it with my with a local fave. If you know me, you know I say the name Maud Callen often. Um, she is a South Carolina Hall of Fame uh, member. So I want you to hear more about Maud Callen and her historic, legendary healthcare career. So just a little bit from uh, a clip that's on the SCETV YouTube uh, channel. So I'm going to include that clip. So I'm going to sign off here as I always do. You all please stay healthy, stay happy, um, stay home. You're going to see signs that are going to tell you to stay home. So please stay home. Let's help flatten that curve. And all my Gullah Geechee folk out there, I want y'all to stay black. But uh, listen to this clip about Maude Callen. And uh, yeah, let's lift up historic, black, amazing healthcare phenomenon. Like, let's just lift them up right now, all right? Y'all take care. In the early 1920s, for many South Carolinians living in Pineville and the surrounding countryside, finding adequate health care was a challenge due to its virtual non-existence. One courageous woman would single-handedly answer that challenge, becoming their angel in twilight, changing health care in Berkeley County forever. Maud Evelyn Callan was born in 1898 in Tallahassee, Florida. One of 13 sisters, she was orphaned at the age of six and raised in the home of her uncle, Dr. William Gunn, Tallahassee's first black physician. She studied nursing at Florida A&M University and Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. In 1923, she was called to Pineville, South Carolina, as a medical missionary, creating makeshift clinics wherever she could. Maud Callan was one of only nine nurse midwives in South Carolina at the time. Ms. Callan was very ins instrumental in bringing health care to this area. For some people, she was their doctor. Very important to the whole community she was everybody's friend, helping everybody, giving you a free shot, what you couldn't pay for. She was more than just a nurse. She was a doctor too. Because you didn't have to go to the doctor after you left her. She was not only a nurse, she was a doctor. 
A lot of people that couldn't go to the doctor in San Stephen. Ms. Maud Callan was our doctor. In 1936, Maud Callan joined the Berkeley County Health Department as a public health nurse, providing vaccinations and examinations, keeping records on children's eyes and teeth, and training midwives. I've always said that she is the Mother Teresa of, of, of Berkeley County because she gave so much. She trained a whole lot of midwives that, that helped others. Her legacy was passed on. I am a product of one of her midwives. And me and my brothers and ancestors are product of Ms. Mark Kellen, midwife. I do remember my grandmother just telling me um, the night in which my mother went into delivery, it was like, I guess, a little chaos there, but uh, my grandfather went, I don't remember if it was horse and buggy or with the truck and picked up one of the um, local midwives that she had trained. In 1951, Life magazine published a 12-page photo essay by prize-winning photographer Eugene Smith. This article generated thousands of dollars in contributions. Nurse Callan would use this money to support a modern health clinic next to her church in Pineville. The article in this magazine really took her out of Pineville. Um, Smith was an award-winning uh, photographer, and he captured the essence. When I look at these pictures, I see he just captures the essence of the area, of, of, of the personality of, of Maud Callan. This is a classic shot here, delivery of a baby. 